Yeah, I'm just going to dive right in because it's a pretty long chunk. So if you want to read along with me in Acts 17, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll go to verse 15. So it says, <coughs> When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as were a number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out, uh, out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. <coughs> they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On, on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, like they did. Uh, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So, <coughs> let's dive into the scripture. Um, like I said in my little opening, this is a, a scripture that I've heard a lot. Uh, it's like one of the classic scriptures I read when I was studying the Bible as a little, little teen. And when I read it as a teen, I liked the, the, the wording of uh, more noble character. So I liked the idea of being noble. And I think I had kind of a backwards attitude of thinking, like applying my mental definition of nobility to the passage rather than using what the passage says nobility is. But I pictured, I don't know how many of you guys have ever played video games. But there's a game called Halo Reach, and Jack knows what I'm talking about. And in this game, you play as, like, the member of this, like, elite team of, like, space marines, basically, that are defending this planet from aliens. And the team, you, your character's name is Noble Six, but the team is Noble Squadron. And they're noble because there's, like, I think there's, like, seven of them, and they hold the whole planet for a while. Spoilers for the end of Halo Reach. But, <laughs> but so I was picturing that. I was picturing, like, this... You know, like a soldier defending a planet from aliens. And I was like, ah, reading the Bible will make me into that. <laughs> Which is spoilers for the rest of the sermon, not the point of this passage. <laughs> but <coughs> uh, we see in this passage that there's a lot of similarities between Thessalonica and Berea, or the, the communities in those two places. We see Paul has the kind of same strategy. He's probably got the strategy down at this point because he's gone to a couple of different towns and he's got kicked out of a couple of different towns. So he's got the strategy of he shows up, goes to the synagogue, and kind of starts his preaching ministry there. And we see he has, to a certain extent, he has similar um, 
similar reactions in both towns where some of the Jews believe, some Greek men and women believe as well. <coughs> but what distinguishes the two towns isn't necessarily just how they react. Because obviously, Thessalonica, we see they, they start a riot, and Berea, they have this noble reaction. I think that what really distinguishes the two towns and the, t- the peoples of these two towns is their character. And their character kind of informs how they respond. So I'm trying to trying this morning to focus more on the, the character of these two people groups. And so we'll start with the Thessalonians because it's the first part of this story. <laughs> and <coughs> we see that... <coughs> we see in verse 5 that says they were jealous. And my first thought when I was kind of studying through the scripture is, well, what are they jealous of? Um, so I kind of journaled for a bit and thought about what, w- what would make them jealous in this scenario. And you can see the synagogue's like their community spot, right? The Jews all hang out at the synagogue. It's not really like a clubhouse. It's like a religious place. But it is also like the center of their community, right? And Paul shows up to the synagogue preaching something new, and he's like shaking things up. I can, um, we can see throughout the book of Acts that the church community is very, is very different and is noticeably different from the outside to the world. They can see that there's something different about this community that they're cultivating. That kind of acts for attitude of they're all uh, in community, sharing everything that they have, giving to whoever has need. I assume that Paul brought that into this community, and that would probably be noticeable. Um, so yeah, maybe my, I thought maybe the Jews were jealous of that Acts 4 community that they, that they see, and they think, that's awesome, I want to be a part of that. Or maybe they're just jealous because this hotshot preacher with like a lot of religious training shows up in town and starts preaching, and like Greeks and prominent women are listening to him as well as the Jews. And maybe they're just, just jealous of like the attention that he's getting. Regardless of what it is, I think it's important to note here that the Thessalonians don't lash out at Paul and the believers here out of some place of religious zeal. They're not like Paul before he became a Christian where he's, they're persecuting because of the beliefs. It comes from a, a place of jealousy, like a heart issue on their part. And I, I kind of think about or kind of hypothesize about what would make them jealous even though we don't have a definitive answer in the scripture because I think it's important for us to try to get in the mindset of those people so that we can um, we can really place ourselves in the scripture not as just the so we can re- not as just the people who are like the good part of the scripture who we aspire to but that we can relate to the part of the scripture where it shows people's weaknesses and people messing up I think that we can learn a lot from that so another question I ask myself about these people is why didn't they just join the church if they were jealous of it <laughs> which I was kind of trying to do the similar thing where I'm like, okay, like, let me get in their head space. Like, why would they not want to join? And I was trying to think, like, oh, maybe they're, like, selfish and they don't want to share their possessions with the people who have needs or they have sin and they don't want to give up their sin or whatever. But I think they react exactly the way that jealous people react when they're jealous of something. Uh, it reminds me of growing up. Those of you who don't know, Ben is my older brother. And, <laughs> and Ben is, uh, me and him are similar in a lot of ways and we're different in a lot of ways. And growing up, I was very jealous of all the ways that we were different. <laughs> so Ben is naturally very gifted at sports and athletic endeavors. And he, he definitely devotes time and he devotes his like, energy to doing those things. <laughs> and so growing up, I would see Ben like killing it at some sports. 
And I'd be jealous because I'm like, man, he looks awesome doing all these sports <laughs> and, like, being the star of his team or whatever. And did that inspire me to, like, go work out and practice and do sports? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but... <laughs> That inspired me to uh, join, like, Quiz Bowl and pick up, pick up the cello, like, you know. So, uh, <coughs> regardless of how we, how we want to, like, define their jealousy, the ultimate reaction is that they looked at what God was doing in their town and looked in from the outside, and rather than want to be a part of it, they pulled back and tried to sabotage it. <laughs> and if you're here this morning... You're involved in what God's doing to some extent because you're at very bare minimum here and you're probably not plotting like the downfall of our ministry if you've come this morning, hopefully. So, uh, (coughs) but the question we can, the first kind of question we can take from them is, uh, is that when we see God working around us, how do we react to seeing that, that movement, seeing those, those things happen? I think, um, it's easy to see God working through other people's lives and we can get it twisted in our hearts and not have the right, the right response to that, if that makes sense. We can see God working and think, why isn't God doing that in my life? Or why isn't, why isn't God using me to do that? And then we like, we like miss the excitement of God is working and we kind of sink to this jealousy. <laughs> um, and I'm focusing on jealousy for this first chunk because that's specifically the sort of heart sin that the Thessalonians reacted to the word with. But I think the, the sort of principle is more broadly applicable to whatever heart issues or character flaws that we are that are kind of getting in the way of our ability to engage with the gospel. And something that I, I find really powerful about this passage is that we notice that the Thessalonians' heart issues, their character, I'll call it, has, a <coughs> has very tangible real-life consequences for them and the people around them. I think it's easy for us to look at our own, like, kind of inward or, like, heart sin and think that that doesn't affect people around us because that's, like, you know, it's, like, inside. It's not, like, explicit actions necessarily. But we can see that their sin has real-life consequences. We see that because of their heart issues... Uh, the, the bulk of people in Thessalonica missed their chance to hear the gospel because <coughs> Paul's only there for, do the math, probably three weeks. And then he has to leave because there's a big riot. You see, the church there gets uh, persecuted financially by getting like caught up in this riot and then they have to post bail and stuff. And we see that even it kind of cascades outward beyond their immediate circle to the Bereans when... <coughs> They um, take their their jealousy a town over to start another riot, right? And we can see, um, basically, the <coughs> point of this idea is that we are connected as people, and our heart sins and our character flaws inter- impact the people around us, and can cascade into impacting people even levels removed from us. And... This, uh, the way the Thessalonians impact the Bereans kind of reminds me of a scripture that is in the Old Testament, in Joshua 7, when Achan like, smuggles some, some loot, basically, from one of Israel's uh, conquesting motions. And then God calls out the city for, or the, the community for having sin in the camp. That's where that phrase, there's sin in the camp, comes from. Right? And that passage shows that God takes the idea of there being hidden sin in the community very seriously. And I think this passage shows a cool, like, practical example of 
why God would take that seriously, because it, the sin has cascading effects. And <coughs> yeah, I think it's important for us to understand that our sinful natures, even the inside sin or the hidden sin, has quantifiable like real-world impacts on the people around us and on the effectiveness of the church and its ability to reach people, right? And I don't know if you guys find the Thess and Lycans relatable at all. I, I find them relatable. Like I kind of mentioned, the idea of <coughs> being jealous is, I think, a very like human relatable thing. I often am jealous of people who I perceive as having more free time or more flexibility than I do. Just with like going from being in college to working a full-time job hit me hard, and I'm like still getting used to working a full-time job. <laughs> and... Yeah, and I can be jealous of people who I see and I perceive God as having chosen to use them more than he's chosen to use me. And really that jealousy can get tied up in a lot of other character issues I have, my insecurity and my selfishness, where it's tied up in my insecurity of, oh, if God's choosing to use other people instead of me, like, why is he not using me? Or it's tied up in my selfishness of, like, I want to I consume more from the church, like, more of the benefits of the community rather than being giving. You know, I want to show up to midweek and I want to talk to the people who encourage me when I talk to them, but I don't want to have to feel like I'm giving to people or, <coughs> you know, having hard conversations or things like that. Um, is that relatable at all? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad. <laughs> you guys are all just like, nah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> but <coughs> so something to, something to kind of think about, thinking along those lines is, what is our attitude towards the kingdom? And what kind of... Another way to phrase that would be, what kind of heart do you bring into the community and the meetings of the body? Mm. You can actually jot down your answer to that one if you want, because we'll circle back to it on the second, second half. But something else to think about is if you're kind of hovering on the outside of the, the community and you're like hesitant to fully commit, maybe you're like these Thessalonians who are like kind of watching from the outside, and like what's holding you back from just fully committing to what God's doing. Um, and I think a lot of these things boil down to, like I said, heart issues or like character issues. And those things are hard for me to preach about personally because the way that I think and the way kind of I, my worldview is, is I want to prescribe simple actions that we can take to become more righteous, right? I want to say these are the things that we have to do and then <coughs> that will make us more spiritual or whatever. And so talking about heart issues is difficult because there isn't like a, there isn't necessarily specific things. It's like you do A, B, and C, and then you won't be selfish or jealous or prideful anymore. Like if there was, it'd be, I feel like it'd be, that'd be great, but <coughs> it's not the way the world works. And so, <coughs> mm. So let's talk more about heart issues, and we'll kind of circle around to the idea of changing our characters, right? So look at the second half of the passage, the Bereans. This is where the Bereans come in, is how they're, what their character looks like. And they're described as being more noble than the Thessalonians, and this is because of how they respond to Paul's message. We see that when they're challenged by the truth, they hear Paul preaching about the Messiah and how the Messiah already came and died for their sin, and that's challenging because they have the picture in their head of what the Messiah is going to look like is not the Jesus that Paul is talking about. And they react to that challenging truth by going back to the scriptures. And they're eager to like check to see if what Paul said was true. And 
that that kind of part of like fact checking Paul, I think, is commendable because <coughs> they arrive at the truth in the scriptures, right? Um, I think it's kind of crazy to think about this group of people reading the studying the Bible every day because the way like the printing press hadn't been invented yet, so they probably had like the like the church Bible that was at church. So that means they're every day they're like going to church to like read the church Bible, which is. <coughs> Which that that heart and that amount of commitment makes my like my morning routine of like reading my Bible while I eat my breakfast before I go to work like makes that seem very tame in comparison, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm challenged by the way that for them to go to a specific place to read like a shared Bible meant they had to really be um, con- they had to really be convicted by and intentional about having a scheduling their time to study the Bible, yeah. which. And there has to be a priority. You can't just, oh, I'll get, I'll head over to to the synagogue, like if I have time this afternoon, maybe or whatever. Like, with that attitude, you would never get over there. So, I I like the idea of them making it a priority, and it makes me ask myself, you know, is the time that I schedule to study the Bible a priority, or is it just like a thing in my schedule? Um, I also, <coughs> um, kind of along this thought. I'm not a huge fan of, like, kingdom-specific lingo. I think it has, like, a... has more of an isolating effect than we'd like because we'd be throwing around words that, like, we know what they mean, and then people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but um, so a specific piece of kingdom-specific lingo that we use a lot is when you're first, like, learning about God and learning who he is, you sit down with a f- group of friends and you study the Bible, right? Most of us have had this experience. Um, then when you get baptized, <coughs> you have your quiet times, people call them. And I think that in my brain, it's easy to distinguish between the two. And quiet times are a lot, are a lot less engaged than a Bible study would be. And so I, to, to those of us who have kind of locked in those spiritual vocab words or whatever, I want to challenge you guys to study the Bible instead of having quiet times. Because studying the Bible takes intentionality, and you're seeking new understanding, and you're seeking truth that maybe will challenge you, whereas... A quiet time is like I'm gonna I'm gonna read a chapter over my breakfast and then I'm gonna go to work. Like, so it's a different attitude, right? Yeah. We also see that the Brians are eagerly examining the scriptures. There's like the three E's of eagerly examining every day, right? But the eagerness is uh, not something that would describe me a lot of mornings in that little reading my Bible over breakfast kind of thing. I'm a creature of habit. Those of you who know me know that I. I love to be, do the same things every day. I love to order the same sandwich at Subway every, every time. Stuff like that. What sandwich? Um, so ham and Swiss, and I get basically all the veggies. <coughs> but since I'm a creature of habit, I think sometimes the thing that I appreciate about my quiet times most is the fact that I'm, like, it's a consistent thing that every morning I read my Bible while I eat breakfast. And it becomes, I appreciate almost the ritualistic aspect of, it's a thing that I do every day, more than, like, acquiring new truth or new understanding about the scriptures. And when I have that attitude, I start to lose excitement for reading the Bible, and it just becomes a thing that I do. And that's funny to me, to me for me to be lacking excitement in that, because I'm someone who can get excited about things that I am, like, invested in and care about, right? Those of you who know me well know that my like main hobby that I participate in is Magic the Gathering. <coughs> yeah, and 
I like pride myself in the fact that I have a very like encyclopedic knowledge of this game where I know all the rules. I try to know what as many of the cards do as possible. And I like feel good about myself when people are like, how does this card work? And I'm like, oh, I know how that card works kind of thing. So, uh, but I don't bring that same energy to the scriptures. <coughs> and that was something I was challenged by just kind of studying through this passage is why don't I have that same energy with the Bible, which is very like a, uncalculably more relevant and important than, you know, my magic themed card game. <laughs> so I think that part of why <coughs> I have that kind of attitude discrepancy is what I was talking about with uh, allowing the scriptures to become routine, right? I've heard it a thousand times, so it like kind of lacks punch. And so I think that the challenge there for me and for you guys is that we need to be ready to shake things up and try things that will ensure that the Bible stays something that we're excited to study out, right? If you're studying the if you've been reading just a chapter a day and you're like plugging through a part of the Bible, it's like you're just like, eh, this isn't this isn't engaging me, then being willing to think critically about that and figure out what you can do to make that Bible study time engaging is important, right? Somebody who's great at this is my wife Sarah, actually. She's really good at diagnosing when she's starting to like fall into a rut with her her Bible study. And then she's always like, well, what should I do to get out of this rut? And I'm like, I don't know, because I'm also in a rut. <laughs> but then she will go around, she'll ask people like what they've read that's been really empowering or encouraging or like challenging, or she'll like look up books that are, uh, she can study through that are really relevant. Or, and yeah, it takes humility and like it takes intentionality to do those things. So yeah, I think that's why, or that's how we need to approach our reading time. And I want to briefly, because it can sound like I'm just being very prescriptive about why we should read the Bible. And it says that the Bereans are noble because they read the Bible. But I don't think that God, there's any, I don't think there's anything that God tells us that we should do consistently just for the sake of doing it. There's, I think there's quantifiable like benefits to the things he expects us to do, right? Yeah. And so there's two reasons I was thinking about, which is why we need to be studying the Bible, right? First thing is that uh, we need to study the Bible to know what the truth is. We've got to be consistently reevaluating our convictions and honestly, like auditing what is shared up from up here on the podium, right? Because if we're constantly doing that and constantly reevaluating our convictions and rooting them in the scriptures, then we'll resist the, the sort of tendency that churches have over generations to sink into traditions and like false teachings and just ritualistic things, right? I think that a church that believes things and does things just because that's the things that they believe and do, that's like the that's like a sign of a, like a terminally ill church that's like on the back foot forever, basically, right? <coughs> now, when I shout out Ben because I'm grateful that he's been really intentional about kind of the why of a lot of the things we do. He's had these little little snippets that we read for communion contribution things like that. They really help us. Remember, there's a point to this, a little thesis of why we do these things. And not that those words are like special or magical or whatever, but we need that why to in, be intentional about the things that we do. <coughs> and uh, I think that that's extra important for our specific congregation because we're so rooted in ca- our campus ministries. And campus the idea of like a generational church in a normal church that generation period might be 10 years or 20 years or 30 years for a campus a church with a lot of campus students in a lot of ways those generations are like four years 
So a lot can happen positively or negative in those four years if we're not committed to rooting our convictions in the scriptures and passing on the why and not just the what, right? Um, I think the other reason that it's important for us to study our Bibles is kind of tying back into our first point, talking about our character, that the Bible sheds light on our character and helps us refine it. So the Bereans were excited to engage in God's word in this communal effort, right? Everybody's doing it together. And (coughs) they're commended for their character as a result of that. I think the scriptures have this exposing effect on our character if we allow them to. You know, it's Hebrews 4, if you want to read a scripture about that. But I've been using the terms kind of sinful nature, character, heart issues kind of interchangeably. And part of why I do that is because I think it's easy for me to view my actions as very malleable. Like I can choose to do things or not do things, right? But it's hard for me to see my character in the same way. Um, I can like set rules that I will live by and I'll be disciplined about these rules and I'll do these things. But then I don't see how that translates to changing my attitude or my heart about those things that I do, right? Um, Yeah, I think that the data and the scriptures both do not support that way of thinking. Uh, We've talked a lot about the idea of spiritual formation and the idea that the things that you do and the things that you consume refine you and affect your character and change who you are, right? But we literally talked about this on Wednesday. Ben talked about this in Romans 12. (coughs) Was a scripture for that. But the Bereans are commended for their noble character, not their noble actions. And I think that's a distinction that I had to kind of nail in on, right? And clearly the actions that they take are what's cultivating that character. Um... This might be kind of like logically confusing, but if one's character is a predetermined fact and, and is not changeable, then there'd be no point of us trying to imitate Jesus because either we would have a Christ-like character or we wouldn't, and only people with Christ-like character would be able to sustainably imitate Jesus, which that kind of, the whole point of Christianity would then be kind of pointless if that was the way that things were, but that's not the way that things are. <coughs> um, Mm. <laughs> Dying. <laughs> uh, Christianity is a framework that we use to help mold our character communally to be more like Jesus, right? Uh, Christianity helps form us into loving, into selfless, generous, wise, and peaceful people, which are all Christ-like attributes and character things. Um, we've talked a lot about the idea of spiritual disciplines in the past year and how they form our character, and I think that a very simple one that we get from this passage is studying the Bible and digging into the scriptures, right? <coughs> and I do want to, as I'm kind of wrapping up here, I want to really reemphasize the we and the us of this idea because um, the Bereans are... <coughs> Thanks. The Bereans are... <laughs> The Bereans are communally doing these things, right? Yeah. Like I said, they have their one Bible at their synagogue, and they all go, I don't know if they all go at the same time, but they all are doing this, this effort of examining the scriptures and developing biblical convictions and being exposed by the truth. It's all things that they're doing together. And so as we're kind of wrapping up here, some practicals for you guys to think about is to identify an aspect of your character that you need God's word to reshape. Some character weakness or honestly sin (laughs) and you can and to really tie into that communal aspect of things share that with somebody and then you guys can work to dig into the scriptures together to be formed by uh, by the scriptures to change that aspect
And then this week, let's really be intentional about scheduling the time that we study the Bible. And if you need to, don't be afraid to shake things up and figure out what will work to make you excited about the scriptures.